1: Miller for three.
0: Ow! Oh, he backed it in! He backed it in! And the game is tied! We're going to overtime! Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it! He hits it! To go. Brogdon for three. Got, got it! O'Neal drives on Yao!
1: Puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, oh, baby! Anthony Denies him
0: at the rim. Harris LaVert, people don't realize how good he really is. Bluffer, skies
1: high for the jam. Stevenson Bluffer passes, Bluffer. passes Bluffer. into Sabonis for the basket.
0: Jackson turns, fires, and has oh, miles. Turner bringing that smoke. It flips it to the big fella, fakes shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace.
2: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm joined today by Derek Schultz. He's filling in for Fochi because Fauci is enjoying a nice bachelor party weekend getaway. So hope Fochi's having a good time.
1: But Derek, excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us, man. Man, I did not know, I guess, that I was replacing the Fochi on this show. Those are really big shoes to fill. Now I'm kind of intimidated. Usually I'm <laughs> confident when I come on shows like this, but now... I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm almost like a little nervous, Alex. You gotta you gotta think of some like you know, some <laughs> some
2: some different things that you can come up with. Uh yeah. always got some good one-liners in his back pocket, you know, uh ready to throw out there. But we're here today to talk about Pacers basketball. Obviously, we saw the Pacers get a nice win in the preseason with Jeremy Lamb hitting a game winner, keeping us from going to overtime against the Grizzlies. Uh, whatever version of the Grizzlies we saw on Wednesday night. And Chris Duarte played well started once again. Sabonis had a really nice game as well. Um, But, Derek, I know we could sit here and break down preseason games and get really into it and get into the nitty-gritty, but I feel like it's a little bit unnecessary. But from what you've seen maybe so far through these three games and what you've maybe seen via Twitter, people talking about it, um, you know, what's been kind of the thing you're keeping an eye on?
1: Well, I mean, let's get this out of the way first every time in October, hope springs eternal, right? So you're just wired to think optimistically because you want to believe that new new season, new team, new year. And and so I always have good feelings or rosy feelings, I feel like, about the Pacers or anybody else uh, when we're in kind of the preseason months. But I think really the biggest takeaway from what we've seen so far is the fact that Everybody said that Duarte was one of the most NBA-ready players in the draft, and it seems, albeit a small sample size, a handful of preseason games, but just kind of given the way that he plays, the confidence, just how he looks out there, he seems as good as advertised, at least in that capacity. Like, we could sit here and talk about, okay, well, what's his ceiling and and or even what he could be and, and argue about that for the 2021-22 20, season, but I think just overall – you know, we wanted to see somebody finally in the in, in the last couple of years. The Pacers haven't really had this somebody that could come in and be turnkey. You know, um, you buy the house sometimes that's the fixer upper, and then you get into the renovations, and you're like, oh god, this is this is just such a headache, and you're tired of waiting for the bathroom to be done, and then the kitchen to be done, and the basement to be done, and it feels like the Pacers have have kind of done that over the last couple of years, and it it is refreshing to see somebody come in and be able to just be turnkey you know what i mean you just throw him out there and he he knows what he's doing and it just works and i'm not trying to be overly critical of goga or aaron holiday or you know if we even want to bring up tj leaf's name i don't know if he's banned from being mentioned on this podcast or not i know he is in some pacers twitter circles but you know those guys you were just like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and it's and it is nice uh to have somebody that you could just throw out there and, and you can see it right away that that things I think are going to work out for him and I know you personally as did a lot of people were worried about the fact that okay here's an older prospect he's got a low ceiling you know you think about Tyler Hansbrough or some you know guys like that from the past that the Pacers have taken and have just been kind of bit players and I think Duarte is going to be a, a little bit better than that, but I think there's a reason that reportedly so many teams wanted him because they saw his skill set and, and what he can really do. And to me, you know, regardless of Duarte ceiling or potential or anything like that, um, the pick just made sense because of what he brings to the table for the Pacers and, and what they really needed. So I, I love that it feels like he's just going to fit right away with this group because they needed somebody to come in and, and fit right away because th- now you have Rick Carlisle and you've got a core that's ready to compete and hopefully contend now. Um, so Duarte makes a lot of sense. And that, that's my big takeaway. The fact that I've, I've just been really pleased with what I've seen.
2: I think one of the things I was most worried about when it came to Duarte was please don't settle for a Doug McDermott replacement at the 13th overall pick. Like we saw Memphis last night. They traded up to pick number 10, took on Eric Bledsoe's contract and flipped that in the off season. But by moving up to 10, they got a guy, and I believe Zaire Williams, if I'm recalling right, I, well, whoever they drafted. I'm having a brain fart now. But uh, this was a kid that a lot of people wanted the Pacers to take. I think he was an 18, 19 years old from Stanford, and he was he was really good. Uh, had a lot of – not really good. I guess he would, you could say he had a lot of the intangibles that make a good draft prospect. Did not have a great year at Stanford, but I believe they played zero home games. So it was just a weird thing. They were living in hotels, and – He played pretty good last night against the Pacers, but one of the things with this pick and Duarte, you know, he was just a guy that there was some red flags because of his age. And I think we overlook that sometimes and overanalyze that a little bit because we're so concerned with, Hey, this guy, how long is he going to last? But if you think about it, 24 is real, really young still. And look at some of these guys that are playing in today's NBA. I mean, they're playing well into their mid to late thirties at a pretty high level. So, If you can get him for 12 to 15 years, you're going to get him in his prime. And if he stays in Indiana, you know, you've got yourself a a good player. Now, I didn't watch enough of Duarte to really know what I thought about him. I got so stuck on Moses Moody that my, my tunnel vision was stuck on Moody and I wasn't really looking anywhere else. So, yeah, I think I'm going to continuously get comments anytime I say anything positive about Duarte or people come at me for saying what I said on Twitter the night that they drafted him. But at the same time, I was so high on Moody, similar to how I felt about OG and Anobi or even John Collins when they took TJ Leaf. Like I was just like sick to my stomach, like, really, this is the guy we drafted. It was more so not about you know Duarte being as bad as Leaf, but more so the guy that I really wanted was right there and they didn't take him. And like I said, with the previous draft history of the Pacers, especially under Pritchard, we haven't really gotten anything from it. We've gotten, you know. Some starter minutes from Aaron Holiday when we were injured, but other than that, they didn't think he was worth bringing back for a second contract, so they traded him. Goga's on his last limb. They they traded Edmund Sumner to get him off the cap. They none of the second round picks have really stuck around. So, aside from Miles Turner in the draft, you know they really haven't drafted well. So, hitting on not just Duarte but Isaiah Jackson, hopefully, you find yourself something here that's really going to help you continue to grow and. I wanted to t- talk about this real quick with you, Derek, the coach, who this coach is, Rick Carlisle. I think this is going to make the biggest difference in how our draft picks develop, especially Isaiah Jackson. But but these two guys, imagine if they were with Bjorkman or if they're with McMillan and Mandate is to win and, you know, they're not really giving them the opportunity, but Carlisle, here he is giving them more of an opportunity you know, before Paul George really broke free, it was, you know, Jim O'Brien who didn't really give him the opportunity because he didn't play young guys. But Frank Vogel said, no, I'm going to play this guy. So I think that Duarte and Jackson really benefit from having Carlisle here as a coach.
1: Yeah, I do too. And it, it would be great. I mean, you talk about how, well, the Pacers haven't gotten anybody since Miles Turner. It's not just they haven't gotten a starter caliber player. They haven't even gotten a rotational caliber player since Miles Turner in the draft. You know, like, Aaron Holiday couldn't even really consistently stay in the rotation. Goga barely is in the rotation and we don't even need to mention TJ Leaf. And then you talk about all the second round picks. What's, what's been tough about the second round picks is you see Yang or, um, or Alizé or some of these other guys find niches and roles on other teams and you're like, well, crap. Maybe, you know, Pacers could have used that. Maybe they should have waited a little bit. You know, I don't know. You know, you you, you go to different teams, you find different fits. So I don't, I don't know if that was necessarily a mistake. But, you know, with Carlisle, um, what what I liked about the hire is not just that I respect him a lot and I'm actually old enough and have been around the team long enough to remember when he was still here um, in, in a professional capacity. But I think that he brings to the table all of the positives that the, all of the good stuff and none of the bad stuff from Nate McMillan. And yes, there actually, I think, were some positives with Nate Bjorgren in that you, you've got Nate McMillan's respect level and kind of the fact that he's been there, done that. You know what I mean? Players, players know he's been around, he played. And with Bjorgren, he is not shut off to analytics. In fact, that's a really big part of what how Carlisle evaluates. So it, it's kind of this marriage of, old school, new school, where the Pacers had a coach that was way too old school in Nate McMillan and then they had a coach maybe that was way too new school and arrogant about being new school to the point that he was just shut off to the old school, you know? Right. And I think really you need kind of a, a a happy medium there. And I don't even know if I'd call Carlis a happy medium because I think he's actually become, I think he's a much different coach than he was uh, 15 years ago. Um, I think he's become much more of a new age coach, but he's just been around so long that he's just developed and grown and um, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited with the fact that the, the development that we've seen from young players, even first-year players, under Carlisle during his career. David Woods a, of the Star, who's kind of their interim Pacers beat. He's been with the Star forever, but kind of their interim Pacers guys. They, they searched for Jay Michaels' replacement. Um, had a really good piece about Carlisle playing Danny Granger um, that first year, 0405. And he was another guy out of New Mexico that was viewed as a, a, a low ceiling player, but a guy that was NBA ready right away. And he played right away. But even guys like Mamedo Core or, um, you know, some of the guys that he had in Detroit, who Tayshaun Prince, who was a second rounder, for God's sake, um, cracked the rotation almost immediately. And Carlisle is not afraid. If, if you can play, you're going to play. And um, and I like that because, you know, some coaches treat it, I, I think, politically. Um And some coaches favor veterans. I I think that was actually a little bit of a, you know, say what you want about holiday or some of those other guys. I think that was a little bit of a drawback for McMillan Mm because it felt like every time a young player made a mistake, he got a quick hook. And then you never saw him again. You know what I mean? And and I thought, well, you got to let these guys sometimes make mistakes and learn. Don't just bring them right back to the bench and, you know, slap them on, on the head with a newspaper. Um, you know, let these guys kind of work through that, and I think Carlisle is going to be able to do that. So, um, it, it was to me, it was a home run, grand slam hire, and one that the one that I never even seriously considered until it broke. Like I, right. I was just, I was, sh- I don't know about you, I was <laughs> shocked. I, I just was. Um, like I obviously I knew that things were coming to an end with him with Dallas, but I was really surprised that he would agree to do this. So the fact that he did. And um and the fact that the Pacers the gesture of ponying up seven million in change per year to get him here, um, I think shows that they're they're really serious this time and they don't wanna, you know, they don't wanna make another mistake like they did uh the last couple of times around.
2: And see, I think that money right there and the length of the contract also does give him a little bit more leeway to play some of the young guys, like McMillan. We don't really know what his contract was, but it seemed like it was Pretty cheap, and you know, for a shorter amount of money or more, a shorter amount of years on the deal. So there might have been more pressure for him to win and not be able to develop guys with a little bit of a a, a longer leash. And that leash might have been real short, like, hey, we want to compete right away. Obviously, they overachieved that first year in seventeen eighteen. Once they traded Paul George, and that just set the bar really high for him. After that overachieving year, where really the East was so down. That if you take a step back and look at it, you're like, okay, this was a really bad year for the Eastern Conference. Look at who made the the Eastern Conference finals. I believe it was Boston that year with a young Tatum. So it's uh it's one of those things where I get why McMillan and, and the team didn't necessarily or the, the players didn't really mesh. But at the same time, you know, I think that he learned a lot from that whole situation in the bubble. And that's what helped him have success in Atlanta. So um, but, but with Carlisle, you know, like you said, he's not the same coach he was 15 years ago. Coaches adapt over time. They learn how to go with the flow. They learn how to make things work. And and so I think everybody came into this season expecting O'Shea set to get a ton of minutes probably in the rotation, and they thought Isaiah Jackson's going to be the odd man out, probably get some time in the G League. And now you look at it, uh, it looks like those two roles could be reversed. O'Shea Bursette has not looked great in preseason whatsoever, He's not really been a consistent part of the rotation, was the 10th man in the first game and then didn't get into the second half of the game against the the Grizzlies and and didn't play very much either in the game against the Cavs until it was garbage time. So kind of interesting to see how they're doing this, especially with how many injuries are going on right now with the Pacers and him still not being able to crack the rotation. But I, I think that Isaiah Jackson is benefiting from Rick Carlisle, you know, being such a big fan of him, trusting him, but I think this exposure so early on is going to be huge for his development.
1: Yeah, and and so, you know, there are certain guys, like Duarte has a lot of NBA-ready skills. Um, Jackson has one, and that's shot blocking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can put him out there right now, and he can still do that at a high level, even as raw as he is. And I, I think his, to me, his defensive ceiling is tantalizing because, you know, look, it's, with his athleticism, maybe he can grow and, and really develop some sort of an offensive game but even if if Jackson is just a um a, a defensive guy that you stick out there and that's what he's going to do i I think he can do that at a really, really high level if this is how good he is already as as a young player um clearly he's he's gifted there um, so yeah i mean I, i'm I'm excited about that because you need to add in those rotational pieces as much as we talk about the shortcomings of the starters. And I don't know, maybe we'll get to that later on in this conversation. um, I think the Pacers have been held back by the fact that once you get past the starting lineup, you know, there's, there's a reason why TJ McConnell was such a revelation. It's because everybody else kind of stinks. Right. Mm -hmm. And so McConnell, who is this kind of afterthought late signing ends up having this great season and and good for McConnell. I'm not besmirching him as a player or anything like that. Um, But you just your young guys didn't didn't grow, didn't develop. And even though we thought Aaron Holiday was going to be the second point guard, clearly he wasn't because McConnell just took came in and took that job and never really gave it back. Um so I'm excited about to to see growth of of young players that finally maybe we can have some confidence in that 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 there is something there. Um I, I don't wanna I don't wanna completely give up on Goga. Um there are some things that I like. Uh, but as far as his high-end potential, I, I feel like he would have flashed a little bit more by now if that was in his repertoire. You know what I mean? At, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, if Goga can become a good rotational player in the NBA, that's probably about what he's going to be. But, I, you know, I don't know. I've been wrong before, um, and I would love to be wrong about that, but that that's kind of where I am with him.
2: Yeah, I think Goga was set up for failure when the Pacers drafted him, just already having two centers on the roster, not really getting an opportunity to to get in there right away. And we know, like I just said, with younger players, McMillan's trying to win, so there's not going to be much time for Goga unless there's an injury. And he's going to play backup minutes and not very much. And then with Bjorkren, I mean, he was playing Sabonis 38, 40 minutes a game every night. So there really wasn't an opportunity for Goga to get out there and play unless he was playing next to Sabonis, which... You know, that that just goes back to the double big problem. And his three-point shot, as good as it looks, it n- never goes in for some reason. I mean, I think, uh, think Fachi had a great tweet. He said, at some point, I'm going to have to have Goga do something more than be a good shot blocker. You know, show me something else. And I, and I think that's a great point because if you think about it, Goga really, I feel like, you know, going through three coaches in his first three years, the loss of his father during, you know, summer league, not being able to be there for that. He's just had so many uphill battles to climb, even starting at a young age before he was drafted. So you feel for the guy, you want to see the guy become something. But at the end of the day, I still feel like this might not be the roster to do it on. I feel like he might benefit by going somewhere else where he could maybe develop more, get more of an opportunity because still at the end of the day, I don't see the Pacers or Rick Carlisle really giving him much of an opportunity. And that might just be because Goku's not good enough. We, we don't see what he does in practice. We're not there, clearly. If he was good enough, I'm sure he'd be playing a lot more, but he did get some early minutes in the first or in the third preseason game against the Grizzlies. So they're, maybe they're trying to give him some an opportunity, but with Miles and with Domas already on the roster, drafting him, they set him up for failure, and, and really they were playing Jakar Sampson <laughs> at backup center over Goga because he wasn't ready. So big guys take a while to develop. We saw we've seen several times where guys have taken three to four years to really showcase who they are, but I, I think that Goga could benefit from being traded. I don't know about you, but that's just where I'm at with Goga.
1: Yeah, I probably a change of scenery would help. Um, and you're right; that was a pick that never really felt like a fit. Whereas Duarte has just been a natural fit because that pick just made sense. And Goga, uh, maybe there was just some intrigue because he fell based on where some people had him and, you know, the allure of the overseas player. Sometimes you get, I don't know, maybe fooled into that too. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, the difference between, let's say Goga and, you know, TJ Leaf is an extreme example, but let's use him, is that I, I'm pretty confident that Goga Batazi could have a long NBA career. Um, I just, I'm not really sure if, that fit's going to be here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree.
2: Well, I was going to ask you this because I've thought about it a little bit, but, you know, T.J. Leaf, clearly nobody was going to draft him over the – I mean, nobody before the Pacers was going to take T.J. Leaf. So if they want to say, well, he was, you know, top 10 on our board, whatever, you know, that's just draft speak. I don't really take it seriously. But you think about it, Gogo Batadze and Chris Duarte both have really incredible stories about how they got to where they're at. I wonder sometimes if the Pacers maybe think, let's go after international players because they might not have as big of egos. And I hate to say it like that, but a lot of the guys that you see that won out are, you know, players that have been catered to through, you know, AAU and high school and then college getting recruited. And some of these guys have had to like work their butt off to get to where they're at. I wonder if the Pacers kind of value those type of players over guys that have been kind of catered to their entire. You know, young high school and college careers.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hard to pinpoint it, right? Because like even when you go back to when Bird was still running the team, a, a lot of people always said, Oh, well, he likes he likes the experienced guys. He likes the white dudes, remember, was always the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there were a lot of experienced players that that he drafted, but I on draft night with Paul George, I remember thinking, wait what that dude the, the guy they brought in for workouts that played like two years out west in in the whack or whatever you know what I mean like uh-huh. <laughs> uh and and of course that was a, a big potential pick and he was he was the best player from that draft. So um with Pritchard, you've got the a one and done player in TJ Leaf. You have a super experienced player in Aaron Holiday and Chris Duarte. And, and then you have an, an a younger overseas player in Goga. So it's really like, what is Pritchard's type? I, I don't know because he's been kind of all over the map. Um, but yeah, no, to your point, I, I do think that the Pacers, the Pacers franchise has always been very aware of how they're perceived and, you know, whether or not that's a still an after effect all these years later from the brawl and the fallout of that, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, middle America. We want a team that our fans can be proud of on the floor and off the floor. And it sounds cheese ball and, you know, like Applebee's on a Saturday night, right? But I, I do think that there is kind of an element to that. So I, I think maybe more so than some NBA teams the Pacers weigh in uh, character or personality or whatever else that comes with it. And I do think, I don't think that's the main deciding factor or anything close to it. But I do think that that is somewhat of a factor that they weigh into the whole thing. So maybe um, maybe that has been an issue for them. I, I'm not really sure. But, you know, honestly, Alex, it, it's really hard to do, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. easy for two guys on a podcast to be like, hey, they should have done this, they should have done that even when it comes to that draft when so many people wanted Ananobi or Collins and then both of those guys had become really good NBA players and and would have fit so well here with what the Pacers need. Uh, So I I get the frustration that comes from that. But I I think really at the end of the day, um, we have to be critical, right? It's our job to to analyze and, and give praise when praise is due give criticism when criticism is due, but I don't envy these guys, whether it be Chris Ballard or Kevin Pritchard, it's, it's not easy, man. You, you miss a lot when it comes to that stuff. And there's a lot of hindsight is 2020 things. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like that's kind of part of the conversation too, as we kind of get in depth with yeah. it. Um, the fact is it's, some of it is just, it's just luck. It's just a little bit of a, uh, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. I mean, look at Milwaukee with Giannis. No right. one, no one could have possibly known that 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 kid, that skinny Greek kid, was going to become what he's become.
2: Right, and that's a great point. And I, I think Kevin Pritchard's in a better position. And Chris Ballard is because I don't hear Herb Simon guaranteeing two NBA finals in the next decade. So uh, <laughs> Ursa's, well, put, yeah. Ursa's put the pressure on after a rough one and four start. But I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's funny to be a Colts fan right now. I wouldn't actually worry too, too much. I mean, clearly the Colts are who we thought they were. They're good, but not great team. And those first five games are going to be tough. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was a really tough first part of the schedule. So anyway, I I digress. I I had to go there with my cold sling for a second because you brought up Ballard. But with that being said, I, I think this Pacer starting five, when healthy, is a pretty good starting five. But those two words have probably been the most annoying words for every Pacer fan, when healthy. I would say probably number two to that is tough out from Kevin Pritchard. So between when healthy and tough out, we've had some, you know, very basic words just be like piercing to the heart of Pacer fans I don't know if we're ever going to see this team fully healthy. That's part of the reason I wanted to see more roster shakeups during the offseason. Kevin Pritchard's talked about how the way to make moves nowadays is not really free agency, but it's trades. So do you think the Pacers maybe play play Isaiah Jackson and Chris Duarte right now to get them ready in case they do get thrown into the fire if there is maybe a massive trade or a bigger trade that happens maybe later this season or next offseason?
1: I mean, I think that's gotta always gotta be part of your mind because um, you know, I really thought after last year that the Pacers were gonna make a big trade or or maybe even some wholesale changes, and they didn't. I I think their feeling was okay, let's bring in Carlisle and let's give him a, a coach that we know has an established track record, a chance to make it work with this group. But I, I think, especially with Warren in a contract year, um and and Turner, um, I think this is you know, we throw around make or break a lot. I think this is make or break for this quarter. If it doesn't happen this year, it ain't happening. So you got to make some hard decisions after that. This is this is the last time. I think Pacers fans have been really patient. You know, you can we can get here all we want and talk about, okay, well, they've never been healthy. They've never been – yep, it, they haven't, but you can't wait forever uh, mm-hmm. for that to happen. If it's not going to happen, then it's not going to happen. So I don't think that they are – I don't think they're necessarily looking at Duarte and Jackson as, well, we got to play them right now because uh, we might trade some guys. I think they're, they're playing them because they deserve to be played. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I think that they're ready to play now, uh, especially Duarte. But I do think, yeah, I, I'm interested to see if things go south, if they have to make some trades. And, and that's actually one area. You know, we talk about the drafting struggles. Kevin Pritchard's really done well. Um, I, I, in fact, I, I've kind of defended him as a, I, and that, that's his whole career. I mean, that's kind of been his MO where, where he has done well in Portland and here is with trades. Um, and that is because obviously free agency, isn't it? And when you're picking 15 to 25 every year, it's tough to draft. So trades is where, where your bread is going to be buttered. But what I worry about with this roster, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Um, I, I think it was ESPN did the top 100 players, right? And the Pacers had four guys on that list, and they were between, I think, 30 and 80. Yeah. And that just shows it's great. It's it's great to have 80% of your starting lineup in the top 80 in the NBA. That's incredible, right? I mean, you know that it, it's hard to make that list. You've got to be good. Um, but it's just – it's a bunch of Bs in a league where you need at least one A, if not multiple A's, and the Pacers just – don't have that. And I was still kind of hopeful. Okay, well, maybe Karis Lavert can get there. And I, I was actually higher on him, I think, than most. But now you kind of worry with injury things popping up with him if that's ever going to get off the ground. Um, and I think everybody else kind of is who they are at this point. Um, Thomas Sabonis is a terrific NBA player. Is he a franchise cornerstone? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I think it would have happened by now if it was going to happen. Um, Miles Turner, I've come to accept his skills for what they are, and he's really good in some areas, and he's lacking in some areas. And and that's just you have a lot of imperfect NBA players, and Miles Turner is it can be a really good player, um, on a really good basketball team, but again, franchise cornerstone, no. And ditto for Warren and Brogdon, and, and everybody else. I mean, these are all really good basketball players, they're just not transcendent or you know, takeover type players um, when it when it really counts, and, and that's kind of what you need. I mean, you look at the conference finals last year and, you know, even a team like Atlanta, which is a good roster, don't get me wrong, but when you have somebody like Trey – you can actually go up a couple of levels past where they could have. I mean, Atlanta for all intents and purposes, people thought they were going to lose first round, and they should have lost. There, there's no reason why they should have beaten Philly in a series, right? When you look at those teams on paper, oh, yeah. Yeah, they did, and and he had a lot to do with that. And and you kind of need to have that uh, that dog player, and um, and the Pacers don't have it. Um, they're in a situation where I think. I I think with their rotational players improving and with Duarte and Jackson and and maybe helping out the bench that you can even go up a couple, uh, a a seat or two and, you know, it'll depend on health and all that. But I I think they can be, uh, you know, a lot of people have them pegged for the playing round and I I think they can be better than that. I really do. But Hmm. I can understand the frustration of fans and Alex, I know you deal with it every day in Twitter where people are kind of like, well, what's the point if you're going to be you know if you're going to win 45 games and be the sixth seed and maybe maybe win a first round series and that's your ceiling who cares and yeah. and I can I can understand that um that, that that there's frustration associated with that
2: yeah uh real quick I think it's funny cuz people love to blame Kevin Pritchard for how this roster is built and I understand he is the president of basketball operations but at the same time you have to understand his hands are a bit tied I think with Herb Simon being the owner. Herb Simon is not super involved in what happens, but everything has to be approved by him. He will not allow this team to tank. That is his M.O. We're going to do whatever we can to be the most competitive team we can be every single year. And each year they have to kind of look at that where they're not really able to take two steps backwards to make one giant step forward. That's just not the M.O. of this team unless there's injuries or there's drama like we saw last year with a coach and Other things cause it to happen, but that's never the intention going into the season. And and Kevin Pritchard's talk about it. I don't want to be on this treadmill of mediocrity, but he doesn't really have a choice with Indiana. And I'm not being a Kevin Pritchard defender, I'm just trying to call it straight like it is. I really think that Herb Simon, you know, likes good guys and he likes guys that are going to be competitive, necessarily uh, doesn't necessarily want the headache of a Kyrie Irving, someone like that. But, you know, Kyrie Irving, you might consider him an A-level player, right? He's a guy that can, can, you know, change a game like that with his shooting and his abilities on the offensive side of the basketball. So that is where you kind of look at this team, and it's got to be the right level of A player that they can get. They thought they had that in Paul George until he won it out. I guess my next question, which is way too early to tell, but do you think Duarte has anything that could make him an A-level player?
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Uh, ooh. no, it, you know, honestly, and this is going to sound like a cop out, I don't know if that's even a fair question for somebody that's 24, you know, where he is. Way too (laughs) early. Well, yeah, it's because he hasn't played a lot, but it's also late in the sense that I I don't know if that – you know, this guy was playing what Juco basketball, right? Not that long ago. Like I, mm-hmm. the fact that he's even here and playing at this level is an incredible rise for him. So, you know, maybe at the same time, I shouldn't write off the fact that he could be an A-level player, but no, I, I don't, I don't see that. Um, You know, in fact, if the Pacers, if Chris Duarte can be a, a really good starter for you for 10 to 12 years, um at, at 13th overall, I think you take that, that, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of where we are in today's NBA drafts. If, if you can get a, a decade starter at 13 in the back of the lottery, I think you're feeling pretty good. So that's kind of where I think his ceiling, um, his ceiling could be, but that's higher than most people had. I mean, right. I think, I think a lot of people, you mentioned Doug McDermott, that almost all the, not all of them, but a lot of the scouting reports that I saw, um, said his NBA comp was basically like McDermott and McDermott don't get me wrong is a skilled player and you can get paid a lot of money for being good at what McDermott's good at but you know McDermott's going to be a rotational guy for his entire career and I, I think Duarte at the very least can be like a a, a more frontline NBA player but a star like franchise cornerstone um, I guess you never say never but I, I yeah. don't I'm not sure that that was ever on his trajectory or ever will be on his kind of trajectory and path.
2: Right. No, it was definitely an unfair question. I just, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, you're talking about all the B-level players they have, like, do they have an A-level player on this roster? I think the only answer you could say is maybe if Duarte can become that. I mean, clearly he's looked really good in the first couple of games, but it's preseason, right? I, I feel like with Duarte, he does have some of the things you want. He's got really good fundamentals. Great basketball IQ, really good shooter, solid defender. I think just like every rookie, they're going to have to add muscle and build that NBA body up at, over the next couple of years. But we've seen some players at 13 like a Donovan Mitchell, like um, a Devin Booker, even Zach Levine to some extent. I don't know if he's an A-level player, but those first two guys, you could maybe make an argument that they're A-level players. And I think could Duarte have reached that level where they're, where he's a small market Guy, but the best player. I mean, I don't even know this. This might be uh a bad question, but I apologize to every base fan listening. But was Reggie Miller an A-level player, or was he more like a B plus? You know what I'm saying? Like, did, did they ever have an A-level player? Was Reggie that A-level player, or did he become an A-level player when it came down to the clutch? You know, like that's that's the thing. I'm just I'm just curious. Maybe you can give me some better understanding on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think Reggie. The way I would describe Reggie was Reggie Miller was a B plus player who had A plus moments. Actually, yeah, <laughs> like, <that's> uh, <laughs> I mean, but but he was a B plus player for twenty years, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I'm not sure Reggie Miller. I, I, in fact, I'll just say it outright, and this is not to knock his career. Re, Reggie Miller was never one of the ten best players in the NBA ever. Yeah. Um not not at any point. Um and you know Jordan and, and he had some blockage there as far as all NBA teams. If memory serves I think he made three all NBA teams. He made five All-Stars I think. Um but yeah, Reg, Reggie Reggie to me was a guy that was what made him special was the the ability to ramp up when the game was on the line and uh, that's, I, I, I even think, I don't know, but you know, his points total and his longevity probably would have gotten him in the hall of fame anyway, but I think what pushed him over the top were all those moments because yeah. it was his 25.4th quarter, you know, outside of LeBron game six in Detroit in Oh seven, that, that was the best individual performance that I watched live. Um, you know, on this earth, <laughs> you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't see Magic Johnson in, in 80 or, you know, some of those other moments, but um, th- those are the two that come to mind for me, that 25.4th quarter, people want to talk about eight points, nine seconds. That, that to me is the quintessential Reggie moment. He was just an absolute killer. Um, I agree. I, I think but, that was a
2: better moment in my opinion too.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's what you worry about too, is that, and and the Pacers, I think have kind of been fooled into that where, you know, even Oladipo um, with, and and maybe we'll never know with the quad, and then you know everything. It, it's 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 kind of sad what's uh, ultimately happened to him. And I I am rooting for him. I might be one of the few people in Indianapolis that is, but you know bygones and all of that. I I don't think. I don't wish him any ill will. I know that he maybe mishandled some things. But even his ceiling, you know, was, was Oladipo ever an A player or was he just a very high B player that one year? And, you know, can you win like that? Or does it have to be the upper crust, you know, Luca, Trey, you know, does it have to be Giannis, that level guy, in order to get you to that level? And and that's – it's it's so tough. Um, it's it just – the nba <laughs> it's difficult it's difficult mm-hmm. to find that guy and and to kind of get to that level
2: no i totally agree well let's let's wrap this up we have quite a few mailbag questions so i want to get them. we'll maybe do like a rapid fire type thing since i don't want to get too in-depth on these but we'll start here with brad a Lamar. He so who is in the driver's seat for the third point guard spot i think without a doubt it's got to be brad wanamaker
1: yeah i'm not going to disagree with you there um I think that's right too. And I'm glad, Um, you know, I I, I do think that again, and we're kind of repeating it over and over again, but a lot of the focus has been on the starters and rightfully so, but what I'm, if you, if you ask me going into this season, what I'm encouraged by is that I'm encouraged by the potential of the, the second unit and the rotation. I I do think that under Carlisle, they're going to have more consistent, reliable production from the guys behind the guys, and you know, I, I'm not saying that Wanamaker is going to be the same as Duarte or or some of these other players, uh, you know, McConnell, etc. But um, I do think that they're they're going to get more consistent play and, and more growth from that area.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think I actually have kind of liked Wanamaker the last two games. He just looks like an NBA player. I think Carlisle actually said that one of the press conferences. He said, "Yeah, I liked Wanamaker. He looked like an NBA player." And I was like, "Well, that's kind of a knock to the guys that played." Wednesday against the Knicks last week, it's just like they're just not ready. And you need someone that's going to be a little bit more reliable. Obviously, Brogdon's already got an injury at this point, Uh, hoping it's not too serious. Carlisle thinks he'll be ready for the season opener in a week. But still, just something you do not want to deal with. But we know Brogdon has injury history. McConnell does not miss a lot of time, but he has missed a few games here and there. So having that third string reliable point guard, Brad Wanamaker, a guy who can also play some wing, Makes a little bit of sense to me to why they would keep him over a guy who's like Kiefer Sykes, who's barely six foot tall. Even if he's a great leader, I just I just think the Wanamaker pickup makes more sense. Let's move on to our our next question. This comes from Aaron M. He said, "Do you think the Pacers should try to trade Goga
1: for a late first round pick or another young player with potential?" Ooh, I mean, do you think do you think a late one is out there for you? Think somebody's going to give a one for Goga?
2: I don't it, think so. I think it'd yeah. be a second.
1: Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I, I. I think. I think you still kind of let this play out a little bit longer. Um, I wonder. You know, you had mentioned trades earlier, Goga, I, I, Alex. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if Goga would be part of a package that you kind of mentioned. That hey, things go south and. You know, you've got a couple of people in a contract year. Do you package Goga with somebody as opposed to, like, a standalone Goga for blank sort of a deal? That That's where I would see him moving.
2: Mm-hmm. That's what I agree with, too. I mean, he could be, like, a throw-in, but also someone that could, like, convince, like, a team, like, oh, that's a nice throw-in because we need a center. He's a young guy that, hey, he's got a lot of potential, never got a real good chance with Indiana because they already have two centers on the roster. We'll take a chance on him. We think we can fix this project. There's plenty of teams out there that I know were high on Goga during the draft, but he did fall. I mean, the Pacers even said, we didn't think he'd be there at 18. A lot of people considered Goga like a top 10 lottery pick, at least top 14. So when he fell to the Pacers at 18, I get why they took him because the potential, the upside, it was a bad draft class too, in my opinion, not, not the greatest draft class. So um, I, I get why they were a little bit intrigued. And I thought maybe Goga could, become better than both Sabonis and Turner if everything worked out the right way for him just because he had both of their skill sets a little bit. Shot blocking, three point shooting, you know, good low post game from what we saw over in Europe. But man, it's just he has been hit, you know, with so much stuff. I already brought it up earlier. But yeah, I just I feel bad for the guy, but I agree with you. I, I think Derek he's gonna be one of those guys that if they were to ever make like a Ben Simmons trade, like hey, you throw Goga in there as part of a piece to maybe shed some salary or make salary cap match um uh, you know, they match up together. But one more question following this conversation, actually. They said, why assume trading Turner is the answer when trading Sabonis could fetch more as well as empty the middle of the floor on offense? So that comes from Show Walter. I'm curious your thoughts on why we uh, don't just trade Sabonis because he could fetch more.
1: Oh, good old Jeff. Uh, he, he just hates Sabonis. Uh, I get those <laughs> tweets all the time. Um, Yeah, I, I think... It's always been – I'll actually be excited for that maybe to potentially end at some point of having to do the Sabonis or Turner thing. You know, It feels like we've always looked at it as an or thing instead of an and thing. Um, But I think the reason why I've always felt like Turner would fetch more or at the very least equal – I think pound for pound Sabonis is a better player. Turner fits more teams. You can airdrop Turner onto more teams and have him – make an impact right away or fit right away than you could with turn with Sabonis. I think, I think Sabonis, you have to cater things more to him. You know, Turner doesn't necessarily need the ball. Um, Sabonis does. And so that's, that's kind of how I've always felt if if they were to trade one of those guys, even though pound for pound Sabonis might be a better, more talented player. um, I think Turner is, is more, I'd even say more coveted just because of, of, you know, his shot blocking ability, um, his range, uh, and and kind of the skill set that he has compared to Sabonis. I think that
2: if Sabonis has reached his ceiling, then it would make more sense to try to sell him while he's high. Because I think with what Turner brings is shot blocking. That's something that Sabonis will never bring to the table. I think the center position, aside from like some of the big name centers like Jokic and Bede, that position has really kind of diminished a little bit and it's not nearly as important as it once used to be. I mean, look at the draft history of, of so many teams in so many years. Big guys go first. Wings and, and guards go after that. I mean, Kevin Durant drafted after Greg Oden. Like, just imagine if those had been flipped and how different Portland would look right now. But it's just there's so many things you can look at, and some of these centers have – you know, they're really good players. Like, I think Sabonis and Turner are both really good players, but they're both completely different. I can, I can talk myself into – moving Sabonis if you get something back better. But like you said, Turner makes more sense for more teams. The only problem is I feel like the leverage of the Indiana Pacers is diminished because a lot of teams know they want to move on from one of these guys, probably Turner more than Sabonis. Based on everything we've heard rumor-wise, there's nothing that I've seen reported really that the Pacers want to move on from Sabonis. It's always been Turner's name that has been thrown up there in, in trade talks whenever you hear anything or any rumors. So, to me, I think the franchise values Sabonis more, but I'm I'm just curious, you know, this, the center market is just not there for a guy, a guy like Turner. Like Charlotte made the most sense, but they would rather have Mason Plumley and uh, a, a very high-risk, high-reward kind of guy in Kai Jones.
1: I think the good news is, is that if you're the Pacers, um, unlike a lot of teams – basically everybody for the most part is on a reasonable deal or even an extremely team-friendly deal so all of those contracts for the most part I, I think are are very movable um you know whereas like let's say what you're running into with Ben Simmons like I, I Simmons is an elite defender and an elite passer but do you want to pay 40 million dollars to a guy that can't shoot, <laughs> you know, or or, or won't shoot um, when when you need him to, even when he's wide open under the basket by himself. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about. And and look, Simmons is clearly a higher tier player than the guys that we're talking about here. But um, you know, you don't have to worry about that with the Pacers, and and maybe maybe other teams would be more willing to take on. Turner or a bonus or anything else because they they feel like there's less penalty if it doesn't end up working out because it's not like these guys are making you know they're making significant sums of money but it's not like these are like albatross level deals that they're on right yeah and no, I agree with all that I, I think that it makes sense why like
2: I we've talked about this the whole Philly thing like well they don't want a center but I think that Turner could actually make some sense in Philadelphia if they were to trade for him you know clearly they have Drummond but Drummond's he just sucks I mean he's not good anymore. Doesn't really do anything for you, and that's—I mean—I think that literally Philly got worse by moving on from Dwight Howard and getting Andre Drummond. As crazy as that sounds, but I mean, Dwight at least did some nice things for him there. But you're knowing Embiid's going to miss twenty some games more than likely throughout the year, just just based on what's happened with his resume of constantly getting injured during the season. So if you have Turner, they're playing those you know fifteen to twenty games that Embiid's not there as your starting center. You probably feel a little bit better about it. Than, than the alternate route. I think you could start them together for maybe like the first two minutes and then alternate their minutes. But that's besides the point. I think that really all these contracts, like you said, are really movable and you could package a couple of players. That's why they're a really intriguing team because they're kind of misfit together, miscast. This group doesn't really make a lot of sense together, but they're all really good players. And if they can reach their potential, like it's, it's, it's a competitive team, like Kevin Pritchard calls them, it's a tough out, but nobody's expecting this team to, Really win a first round matchup. I mean, I'd be surprised if they won a first round playoff series. I think everybody would be, but that's just kind of where it's at with this team right now, and with so many questions over their head in terms of can they stay healthy. I mean, who who knows? But uh, let's move on to our next question. Sorry for the the long response there, but this comes from Kelechi. He says, "If Kyrie does become available for trade, is this something the Pacers
1: should explore? If so, what package would you feel comfortable with to acquire Kyrie?" Oh, man. Uh, we were having, full disclosure, uh, Alex and I were having an, an off air before the record button was hit, uh, conversation a little bit about Kyrie. And um, I remember, actually, this is when they were about to move Paul George. And I don't remember if it was a rumor or a report or anything like that. I, I remember kind of tackling a, would you trade a, Paul, would you trade Paul George for Kyrie straight up? And at that time being really in favor of it, because I felt like it was a good talent for talent level. Like I I think in the grand scheme of things, those guys are about the same tier of player. Yeah. So I thought, okay, sure. If Paul George wants to move on, then yes, that that would make a lot of sense. Like you're not losing anything by bringing in Kyrie, but just the fact that he's become, he's just become such a headache and it's always something Um. I don't, I don't usually, I kind of roll my eyes at the whole, well, he's not a great teammate. He's not a great locker room guy. I, I usually kind of roll my eyes at that, but I do wonder for him, especially if, uh, if, if he would work in any time. I, I don't know if he'd work in this market, Alex, yeah. <laughs> you know, Indianapolis, mm. like he could, he couldn't even make it work in Boston and that's still, you know, Boston is kind of its own little culture there, but, uh, but that's a big city uh, and and he couldn't make it work there. So no, um, I'd be real, real hesitant with Kyrie. I, I think the world of his talent, he's an unbelievably skilled player, especially offensively. He's he's you know, ball handling, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, but just not not worth the headache that kind of comes with it.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I, I think Kyrie, like we said, like he could be an A-level player for you, especially what he can do offensively, but there's just so many like question marks with, with him, and and he's shown so many odd behaviors, like. Look, he's supposed to be happy. He's on the Nets. He's with Kevin Durant, James Harden. These are his buddies. He's here to win a championship. And, you know, he takes off a couple weeks and goes to, you know, uh, his sister's birthday party last year. And then now he's going to miss the season or sit out until maybe the mandate changes or until he gets vaccinated. Like, there's just so much going on with Kyrie that it's not worth the headache. The Pacers never go after guys that have this kind of – uh, reput- uh, reputation so to me it makes zero sense for them to go after him but I will agree with you they did have interest in Kyrie Irving I think the the rumor that I had heard was basically the Pacers asked for Kyrie Irving and the Cavs were wanting to send us Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson for Paul George and that was never going to happen because it didn't make sense for us to get two more bigs now I think people now would laugh at that because they think the Pacers just love bigs but they uh they wanted Kyrie Irving didn't get him and then Thankfully, they didn't get Gary Harris. That would have been a disaster yeah. of a trade. So, everything worked out with with you know getting Oladipo for that one season, and then him coming back and what little he you know contributed then. But getting Sabonis also, I think it really worked out for the Pacers clearly in that deal. But that's why you just have to find the right pieces for your for your franchise because it does matter what franchise you play for. And some of these guys, they're just not going to buy in. Like I don't know if Ben Simmons would buy into Indiana. But I would bet my bottom dollar he would buy in more to Indiana than Kyrie Irving would.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, It's too bad. (laughs) And it's a shame because I kind of wanted, of those where I was all the way out on love, you know, the contract and just everything. It would have been not not the right move to make. But Mm. I was actually really intrigued by Gary Harris because at that time, it still looked like his trajectory was still pointing up. And you thought, okay, maybe he could be a really good player. And then I... It just never, you know, Gary Harris is going to play 15 years probably and have a really nice NBA career. But that's, unfortunately, that's all it's going to be. It's just going to be like a a really nice NBA career.
2: Uh, Yeah, I I completely agree. And I feel bad for him being stuck with that Orlando team. Yeah, anybody that gets stuck there, ooh. So he'll be a free agent next year, I believe. He has one year left on his deal right now. And that's a pretty good paycheck. And he won't be getting that anytime soon next season. But uh, the next question here comes from, Slick at Ricky underscore Kelly. He said, give me your predicted stats for Duarte this season. So Derek,
1: give me those predicted stats. <laughs> oh God, this is tough. Um, Cause you know, if you would have asked me on draft night, I would have thought, okay, I think he can crack the rotation and be like a 10 minute per game type guy. But now I'm starting to think, well, hell, you know, are we talking double that? Uh, if their health situation runs south, which no one's rooting for, but we are talking about the Indiana Pacers, right? That's always potential. Uh, You know, could it it be even more than that? Um, I I hate even putting numbers on it because I think that his value can be in a lot of different areas. Um, And so just being like, yeah, you know, I think he's going to get 10 points and four assists and shoot this percentage like a – I feel like that's almost doing a disservice to what his impact can be, but um, I, I think that I think he can play enough to and 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 be reliable enough to be a, a double-digit per game scorer. I really do. Yeah. Now on, on the low end of that, obviously, but I I, I think that he can crack that. Um, and what he brings to the table elsewhere and his potential as a defender and all of that, um, you know, I, I think Duarte can do a lot of things that don't even necessarily even. Um, show up in, in averages and on a stat sheet, but you know, just from a scoring impact. Whereas I thought he'd be like a, a five point per game type of guy. I think maybe you can you can look a lot more optimistically just with a what we've seen so far, and b his potential to uh, to grow and and get an even bigger role right away in this offense.
2: Yeah, and you never know with these injuries how much they're going to have to rely on him to play too. That's another factor that we probably didn't consider early on either. So. I did put some numbers out there, but I just did assists, rebounds, and points. I didn't get into like percentages on field goal percentage and all that, but I said 12 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. I feel like that's pretty basic, pretty average stat line for a guy that's in the rotation on a consistent basis. So we'll see exactly how much he plays and how he does against better competition, right? So um, I felt like 12 points was fair. Um, not asking too much, but you know, still being able to contribute, playing 25 minutes a game, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but that's where I'm at with that. Um, let's move on to the next yeah. question. This comes from Zachary Barnett. He said, what is the best taco place in Indiana? And he also said, <laughs> if you were going to go to dinner with any player on the
1: Pacers, where would you go and with whom? I love, it's the number one thing I love about living in Indianapolis. Uh, my wife and I just, it's our favorite thing is just, we just go to local places all the time. We have a big list and when new places come out, we add them to the list, we cross them off as we go. So like, I feel like, you know, I, I don't say like foodie or I'm not a Yelper or anything right. like that, but I, I just love, I love, i worked in restaurants. I love supporting local places. Um, so this is right in my wheelhouse. Uh, we love a, a bunch of different places and it depends on kind of what you want. Um, if you're a, a tortoise guy, which is a uh, a Mexican sandwich, there's a place uh, El Guero at 38th and high school that is really, really good. Uh, super Tortas El Guero, uh, super fresh. They have other stuff too. You can get burritos and tacos and all of that there. And it's just this little turquoise. I think it's like an old gas station, like attendance, uh, little building. Like you can't fit more than four people in there, but wow. they've got a grill and it smells amazing. And you just, you just pick up and go. It's right there before you hit 465. So Tortas El Guero for like sandwich grab and go sit down Mexican. There are a lot of good places, but there's actually a place up near Castleton mall that's in a, in a strip mall. And you'd never know that it was there unless you were looking for it. Next, to the Outback Steakhouse called uh, Bugambilia's I think is what it's called. Um, and how, F- how F- do you spell B- that? <laughs> B B U G A M B I L I A S or IAS, something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough to say, but um, good place for sit down, sit down Mexican. I mean, you can't go wrong. Sit down Mexican. It's yeah. it's kind of like it, it's not really hard to do, right? Um, most places can can do passable ones. Um, and then taco and burrito place is another good one at about Forty Fourth and Keystone um, on on that side of town. Uh, authentic and um, and really good. So yeah, I, I love all three of those. Those would be my three one two three recommendations there. Right, so let me uh, get your second part of that question. If you were going to go to dinner
2: with any player on the Pacers, where would you go and with whom?
1: Oh, geez. Um, I don't know, because you can go in a lot of different directions here. Like, would, would I go to our guys at Smoking and Barrel Barbecue with Miles Turner because he's from Texas? You know what <laughs> right, I mean? And right, I feel right. like that would be in his wheelhouse. And, and Miles is such a intelligent, interesting dude. I think he and he's funny. I think he'd be a Pacers have a lot of great personalities. Like I don't I don't think it, it's not hard. You could you could talk me into having dinner with just about anybody on the Pacers. Um you know I, I like TJ Warren. Um that was gonna be
2: my answer because yeah I don't know much about uh, him but I think he'd be fun to hang out with one no more.
1: he's a cool dude. Um you know Domas just kind of with his background and being all over the place, not just the country but the globe I think it'd be really interesting to kind of go to dinner with him and talk about different, I don't know, cuisines or places that he's been and, and just kind of his background. I think that'd be a lot of fun too. So yeah. um, I think you can go in a lot of different directions there. But, yeah, let's let's go with TJ because um, I always okay. I always kind of liked his vibe. He seems like a, just a really down-to-earth regular guy.
2: Yeah, so I, for me, like what restaurant would I want to hang out with them at? That's, that's a tough one because there's so many. I guess I would ask them what they're in the mood for um, if they're going to do me the favor of you know, hanging out with me. But if it was me picking, I'd probably just go to like El Emporium and get some wings and oh, just hang no out. Yeah. yeah, just hang out with them. And, you know, I mean, it would be pretty cool if they're like, who's that guy hanging out with TJ Warren? You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be because uh, a lot of people there at El Emporium, I mean, that place is always popping whenever I go there. Uh, for great food. It, it's really good. I was going to say for my best taco places, like I I'm, I love Mexican food, but I'm not one that like branches out and tries all these local places. I probably need to do a better job of that. But there is one place that's close to my work that I go to about once a week. It's called Gill's Tacos off Minnesota and Lenhurst around that area. And they have some really good uh, carnitas. Oh, it is. It is just fantastic. Yeah. And, and they give you this red and green sauce to pour on them. And it has a kick to it. It's really good. Um, if you're available on Fridays from 11 to 7, like you said, smoking Barrel, they have some really delicious brisket tacos if you want to go down that route, I mean, I've had them before, and it is just unbelievable. I think they actually use their burn ends to chop up that meat and then make that out of their taco meat or their uh, or their brisket taco meat. So that's really good. Um, you talked about some sit-down Mexican places, like the ones that I go to over here. I'm in the Cambia area, Indianapolis area. A lot of times I go to Luciana's off 135. Yep, yeah, there's one up here that's good. Yep, yeah, I think Luciana's is pretty good. The one up north, uh, Verde, I've been there a few times. I think that's a pretty good restaurant. Um, I've only been there a few times, and I really like the salsa. It's really fresh tasting. But other than that, like, I'm not a big chain person. Like, don't like on the border that much. Don't like those kind of places. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to go wrong with Mexican because they all, in their own ways, kind of taste the same. But there's some that are just much better than others, and if you get true freshness. And I also like Loco, which is down in Fountain Square
1: yeah indie has this rap of being like chain central and oh it's all you know white bread and and look I, there are elements <laughs> of truth to that <laughs> i'm not gonna lie but if you seek it out there are, there's just some amazing ethnic food and that's the case for every i mean there are a million people here um if, if you look for it you can find it so whether it be mexican uh indian hell african food uh peruvian any of that stuff um if if you just kind of search around, you can dig it out. Um, And and there's some really just fantastic places all over the city.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I'm sure you'd be happy to direct people to try different places via Twitter. So if they want to Yeah, hit me up.
1: That's, that's absolutely, that's even more my wheelhouse than the Pacers, if we're being honest. (laughs) Schultz, Schultz,
2: Schultz 975, if you want to get some, get some food takes, but uh, a couple more questions here. I know we're going a little bit longer than probably anticipated, but that's okay. This comes from Chris at Prodigy Sports Podcast. I was just a guest on there this week. Did a little Pacers talk there. So if you don't get tired of hearing me talk there, you might want to hear me talk on that one. Really fun conversation there with Chris. But he said, what position and play style that each of you have back when you used to play or if you still play, and then give us a give him a player comp to our game. I, I mean, honestly, I'd have to consider myself like TJ Lee player comp. That's how bad I was. Uh, <laughs> not, not necessarily bad, but it's just like I was never going to be an NBA player. So like, I, I can't really compare myself to an NBA player because of how bad I was. But uh, I was a guy that really just did a lot of rebounding, I had decent timing on shot blocking. Being about 6'3", I wasn't, like, great at that. But rebounding was my forte, and I could see the floor really well. Never really a score, but, uh, yeah, I like to get other teammates involved. So whatever player that is, I don't know. Maybe you can help me out with that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure, but certainly more than TJ Leaf, it sounds like. I think you're <laughs> short-selling yourself. Um, I I was under five feet tall until I was 16. So basketball was was great for me up until about fifth grade, and then people started growing, and I didn't. And so in 1991, I was the St. Joseph high school. This is in Connecticut, Metro area, summer basketball camp, hot shot and knockout champion. Oh. So like, I, I was just obsessed with it. I mean, I was just a total <laughs> basketball freak. I just played all the time. And um, my nickname was Muggsy because at that time I was still smaller than everybody else. And Muggsy Bogues was in the NBA and he was five, three. And, and so people just called call me Muggsy or Muggs. And, and um and I was like real serious. Like I'm I'm going to play point guard for the Knicks. And I loved Rod Strickland and Mark Jackson. And then um, those are the guys that I, I love passing really. I, I didn't even, I I was a good shooter, but I w- wasn't really even much of a scorer because I didn't, I like to get other people involved. But yeah. once everybody grew, I got discouraged. And then I just, I just kind of quit on it. Um, and let's face it. I mean, I was never going to go anywhere anyway. It's not like I was a gifted athlete, <laughs> but I guess Mugsy Bogues because people, when I, when I peaked athletically, when I was 10 years old, People nickname me Muggsy, so I'll, I'll go with that as my NBA comp.
2: Yeah, nobody ever called me anything. I think, like, at my age, when I was playing in high school, like, that's when the Pacers had just traded for Ike Diagü, and I was like, oh, I'm about to be like, the, you know, I want to play like Ike Diagü. That's how dumb I was. At the <laughs> that's a period.
1: name. Wow.
2: Right. So, um, but, no, I just, I really just liked rebounding. I mean, I will say this now. Uh, I don't play very much. If I ever do, I am a three-point line to three-point line kind of guy. Do not like to go on the inside because those are just like an extra fifteen to twenty steps that my body does not want to have to take because I'm out of out of shape incredibly. So I would say like my game now is kind of relative to Sam Perkins when he was on the Pacers Finals team. You know, just hanging on by a thin thin thread. Uh, shoot the three and be a knockdown three point shooter, but not giving you much elsewhere besides some fouls and uh, an occasional rebound every once in a while. But that's where I'm at with that. Uh, let's move on to our Next question, this comes from Elliot. He said, will I be able to witness a Pacers championship
1: in my lifetime? I hope so. Um, we're actually going to raise... Our, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old, our son, James, um, and have him be a Pacers fan because my wife was really hell-bent on him being a Red Sox fan, which you know, growing up near New York, I, I really didn't want him to do, but that's just a battle I'm not going to win. And she said, well... He could be a Knicks fan. And I said, you know, hon, no, I I don't want to subject him to that. But the joke that I always make is that I, I, instead of having him root for a team that hasn't won a championship since 1973, I'd like him to root for a team that hasn't won a championship since 1973. Because, <laughs> you know, for both franchises, that's the drought, right? The Knicks and the NBA and then the Pacers, you go back to the ABA. Um, it's, it's just one of those things, like, you have to just get – You have to be really smart and all of that, but you also have to get insanely lucky. And I'm not trying to detract from Milwaukee, but if Kevin Durant's foot is a quarter of an inch smaller, Milwaukee goes out in the second round. They Mm -hmm. lose that game in, in regulation, right? And instead, hey, guess what? A fraction of his foot was on the line. They win in overtime and they win the title. And, and that's not even getting into the luck involved with getting Giannis or Chris Middleton is this freaking cast-off, right? And oh, you yeah. come in and look at it, and he's become a, a top 20-ish NBA player. Um, you just have to get insanely, insanely lucky. So I, I'd love to be optimistic and say, yeah, sure. I, I have no idea. Um, I yeah. hope that day will come. And, you know, the fact that we can say NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks and – NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA champion Toronto Raptors in the last couple of years actually does give me some hope. But, you know, then again, it's just it's such a tough, tough thing to do. It's not like the NFL or even baseball. You know, baseball has become maybe not for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but uh, there's been a little bit more parity in baseball. Um, these last 15 or 20 years or so where, where the, the Royals or teams, you know, the Rays, teams like that, it's have, have kind of popped up here and and won or or gotten really close to winning. It's just so, so tough in the NBA. Yeah, no, it's
2: it's hard to answer this question because, number one, I don't know how old Jar
1: are, Elliot. Um,
2: if you're 20, then I would say I would like to see the Pacers win within the next, like, 50 to 60 years, you know, hoping that you live a very long and prosperous life. Uh, but for me I'm 29 so I'm hoping that I'm right there with you in that same age group age bracket and we're able to see a Pacers championship they're really close at one point one time you know we just talked about it with Sam Perkins being on that team but you know at the end of the day I I just feel like it's very hard to win only one team can do it every year and you've got to hit on everything so uh, let's just cross our fingers and maybe get some new luck maybe in the next like uh, you know five to ten years for this Pacers team and we'll, we'll see what happens but yeah, let's just keep, let's, it's like you said, it's the beginning of October. Let's be optimistic, <laughs> you know, let's not, uh, let's not throw things down the drain uh, too quick.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
2: But let's move on to our next question. Tony wants to know, where does Goga fit? Do do we think he's going to stay with the Pacers on this roster? Or is there a chance that he goes to the the Mad Ants? Same for Isaiah Jackson. Do we think he'll be playing for the Mad Ants this season?
1: Uh, If you would have asked me that question... Again, on draft night, I would have said, yeah. Uh, but now I'm starting to think, well, no, I don't I don't think so. Um, I, I think some of that has to do with health uh, that maybe guys that would – and I get that we're talking about bigs, and you feel a little bit better about Sabonis and Turner health-wise than you do about some of the wing players, you know, Warren, LaVert, uh, you know, Brogdon, always something pops up seemingly with him. Um, but I I mean, I would Jackson play at some point in Fort Wayne this year? Yeah, maybe. Um, Goga, I, I just don't know. I, I don't – I need to kind of see, and I don't know if he's even really talked about this. I think I told you, Alex, that I've been a little cult centric here, so I haven't been as in-depth uh, this preseason on – what Carlisle has said and what he hasn't said. I don't even know if he's mentioned like a plan of, of what they might have for Goga or how he's looked or anything like that. Um, I don't, I don't really see where it fits uh, or where he fits on this team. Um, But I don't know if that necessarily means he's going to be banished to Fort Wayne. Uh, That could just mean that he's banished to the bench for a while. Um, But Jackson, I I think much, I'm much higher on his ability to find a spot in the rotation and and consistently keep it.
2: Yeah, I don't think either of them really play much in the G League. I'd be kind of surprised if they did. If you're going to play Goga in the G League in year three, I, I think it's just time to move on from him. Yeah, 100%. And with Isaiah Jackson, he's already been getting minutes in the rotation. And this is one of our questions here from Logan. He said, I think Jackson's going to be too good not to play. Why do you think, who do you think he kicks out of the rotation and I think so far we've already seen it. O'Shea Bursette might be the odd man out when everybody's healthy. You know, we're not even talking about when you have Warren and when you have Lavert back. So maybe if, when you get those guys back, then you're talking Tory Craig, Jeremy Lamb, Christy Warte, McConnell, they're all coming off the bench as well. That's nine guys there with your starting five. So there could be times where maybe he does get sent to the G League or plays with the Madants when they're in Indianapolis, I think there's going to be like quite a few games played in Indianapolis this season as well. So I could see where he might get some run there if he does fall out of the rotation for some reason, but yeah, I mean, I think Isaiah Jackson when it comes to right now, his, his spot in the rotation, I think it's there, whether it's 10 to 12 minutes a game, I'm not sure, but I think he's going to get some run there. They want to continue to develop him. And with Goga, it's just one of those things. He's going to have to continue to prove it when given the opportunity, but even when everybody was healthy, I didn't think there was really a spot in this rotation for Gogo Batadze, just because I feel like Carlisle is going to do a really good job of staggering both these big men and, and Sabonis and Turner, knowing that he can play guys like O'Shea and uh, Tory Craig and Jeremy, uh, TJ Warren at the four and kind of play a little bit more modern basketball that way.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, we actually, I think led off our conversation by, by kind of talking about that and mm. uh you know, I always I, th- I thought that Jackson was going to be a little bit more. He's still very raw, but I thought he was going to be more raw than you know what we've seen so far. I think there's there's a little more polish there, um, especially on the defensive side of things, where where clearly you can put him in there, and he still needs to kind of feel his way around and fully understand everything. But um, but there's there's some ability to impact on that side of the floor right away, and um, and I'm hopeful that we see that in his rookie season. Absolutely.
2: So we're running out of time. We got two lengthy questions here. So we're just going to answer them real quick. I'm, I'm sorry, not going to be able to give super in-depth on this, but faster 35 said, staying with the, uh, he said, Carlisle's offense appears to rely on three point shooting. If one of Turner or Sabonis don't prove to be high volume shooters, how long until trade, tar- uh, trade talks start again? He then goes on to say, staying with Carlisle's offense and shooting. I love T.J. McConnell. But he still seems reluctant to shoot off the move, which base, uh, which basically, you know, uh, seems to be something that they rely on quite a bit. Do you think his minutes could dwindle under Carlisle? So I guess do you think McConnell's minutes could dwindle? And how long do you think until trade uh, talks start again for Turner or Sabonis?
1: I mean, I think it just kind of depends. You know, um, McConnell... McConnell played a lot last year, even for a team that wanted to be more heavy heavy three point shooting. So I don't think that that necessarily kept him up. He was too good to take him off the floor, or I guess maybe the people behind him were too bad to, uh, to to not have him be on the floor. But I I don't know if that's necessarily going to affect him. You know, I was really encouraged last year that you saw Sabonis, um, be more aggressive and and take more perimeter shots Um, you know I'm I'm going off the top of my head but I I think he was averaging during his career something like uh, a half attempt or you know under one attempt per game and he had something around two and a half uh, per game last year Um, you know didn't shoot it at a great clip I think he was around 30 ish percent 31 32 percent from three but I, I would I would love to see that be an element, um, you know, maybe not like a lockdown guy from three, but at least something that you would have to kind of be wary of and and respect. Um, With Turner, it's there. It just needs to be a little bit more consistent. But I don't think necessarily either of those things factor into them and and trade. To me, it's not about Turner and Sabonis not fitting and needing to be traded. Those guys, I think, will need to be traded once it becomes apparent that – things aren't working um, with for, for this group and and the, the group finally needs to be broken up. And that's, what's going to happen this year, regardless of Carlisle system or whatever else, if the, the Pacers are going to have to make a decision at some point of, Hey, this, this isn't going to work. So let's, let's go ahead and, and do what we need to do to maximize um, the situation without letting these guys like, like Turner or Warren, et cetera, move out the door for nothing. Yeah. Because we know Turner's contract expires at the end of the 21, 2022 season.
2: And Sabona still would be uh, on the roster till 2022, 2023 once that season's over. So we know Turner's contract is coming up sooner than Sabonis. says I think that conversation is never going to stop until one of them is moved. It's always going to be talked about non-stop. So even if Carlisle can figure it out where they're playing great together and this team is a three seed, people are still going to bring it up. They should move one of them. it doesn't make sense. It's, it's going to be a never-ending conversation until one of them moves or one of them leaves in free agency with TJ McConnell, I think just really for me, while McConnell does have some weaknesses to his game, like we, we talked about the shooting and he's working on that. He's talked about how he's working with it all summer long and it's something Rick Carlisle really wants to see him do. When it comes to McConnell, his, his, his weaknesses are there, but I think he does so many other things well that Carlisle is going to rely on him more than maybe, maybe we've seen so far in the preseason because McConnell provides energy. He provides a heartbeat to this team. The, the defensive steals that he gets in the backcourt like it, it just changes the game he can do that and I think that while we like what we've seen from Brad Wanamaker as the third string point guard he's not even close to the level of TJ McConnell in terms of how he can impact a game so I don't really see McConnell's minutes you know being lessened but maybe from last year because he's not as he's not asked to do as much as he was last season but I, I still think is a guy that's going to get around 20 to 25 minutes per game play a great backup point guard role and uh and go from there. I don't think there's too much to break down with that. So uh, let's move on to our last question. This is a lengthy one. What gets the Pacers closer to a championship level team over the next couple of years? A, keeping some version of this court together. Let's say keeping three or four of the starters, making minor roster changes. Uh, example, trade lamb or even Turner. So you make playoffs, see what you actually have and being a quotations hard out or B, tear down by trading Three to four of the starters and build through the draft. Whatever you answer, is there a NBA model or team example that provides a championship roadmap of how you build tear down with these specific types of assets?
1: No, I don't think. I don't think you tear it down to the studs, and it it actually doesn't matter. Even if I thought that they should do that, because you mentioned it, Alex, they're never going to do that. Yeah, they're never going to tear things. So it's, it's there's no not even reason wasting time talking about something that that's never going to happen, at least not with this ownership group. Um, I think the answer is, is B where you don't make necessarily small changes, but you don't make, you, you kind of meet them halfway. Um I think what the Pacers have to try to identify, you know, and this is easier to do for Milwaukee because you had Giannis but they could have easily given up on the Giannis Middleton thing and said, Yeah, you know what, this isn't gonna work and and just and just kind of move on. But they stayed kind of confident that, hey, let's let's kind of ride this out here and and see what we have. Now we've seen teams do that and you know, maybe even in Portland with with Lillard and, and McCollum and and maybe they've been burned by that of, of staying too patient to say, okay, this is gonna work, let's do it. Um, but I think the Pacers need to just kind of Find a, a, a couple of guys that they feel like they can build around and, and try to just get insanely lucky by getting that transcendent star level top 10 kind of level player to uh, to put with those guys because you need the star you do but you also need the complementary pieces to kind of make that whole thing. And I feel even bad calling somebody like Chris Middleton a complimentary piece because he's far more than that. But you, you get what I mean. You need right. other frontline right. players that you have to surround those guys with. So I think the the blueprint is um, – I'm actually not opposed to what – I think they've been overly patient with this core. And I think that just saying, okay, well, it's just a health thing. And when they're fully healthy, they can contend. I, I've never felt that that's the case with this group because I just don't think their ceilings very high. But I, I don't mind – that philosophy in general of let's kind of be patient with it and and try to tinker here and there and um, instead of this like wholesale change of throw the whole team out build it back up again throw them out build it back up again that we see with some other teams
2: yeah I mean building from the ground up it's, it's really difficult to do that you gotta hit on all the right draft picks and like how many times the, the Sixers missed on draft picks and, or, or even Minnesota, a team that constantly is on the draft lottery or even a team like Sacramento. I mean, it's just there's so many examples of teams that have tried to bottom out or teams that have really just thrown in the towel and, and they try to rebuild through the draft. And they're, they're, there they are every single year just stuck in that draft lottery. So I think, you know, maybe trading more than one of the starters does help moving on, figuring out a way like maybe trading two of them could make some sense. Maybe if that can help you get like an A-level player or like a really good B-plus level player. I don't know, but I I think the model that everybody talks about is that Detroit Pistons team that won in in 2004 uh, when they beat the Lakers. You know, clearly they had some really good talent on that team, but there was not like one guy that you were just like, that's the face of that team. Like Chauncey Billups was good, Hamilton was good, Tayshaun was good. Uh, the Wallace brothers were good. I mean, it was just a really well-balanced team. So I think that's kind of the model this Pacers team could look at. If you're wanting a more moderate answer, I, I think maybe something similar to what Denver is doing with how they've constructed their roster. They, they've they tinkered with it from time to time. They got lucky in the draft by getting Michael Porter Jr. at 14, a, a guy that they just maxed out. They, they traded for Aaron Gordon, a guy that was a good starter in Orlando, but Orlando was going nowhere. So maybe the Pacers can try to, you know, make bank on that, get a guy that fits and makes more sense than what they had. But, you know, they're constantly trying to to build their roster. I think Utah is another team that hasn't really made a ton of significant changes, but they made a big trade in going to get Mike Conley, which made them the number one seed last year. So there's different ways you can go about building your roster in today's modern NBA. But I think, you know, trying to keep the core together and finding a move that makes sense
1: could, could really help this team in the long run. Yeah and you mentioned the 04 Pistons I mean in in 40 years of basketball the last 40 years that's really the only example of a team that didn't have a uh you know I I know Ben Wallace made the Hall of Fame uh, The Hall of Fame is kind of a joke isn't it I Yeah mean, I mean everybody know, like, makes it <laughs> You know Ben Wallace Ben Wallace had a really great career um if you're listing the hall of famers that were the least level of player ben, ben wallace would be probably on that list somewhere i mean mm-hmm. maybe maybe i'm a little bit harsh and and i get that college is part of it I don't, I, maybe this is a conversation for a different day i i mean i didn't think chris weber was a hall of fame caliber in fact i thought chris weber's career ultimately was kind of disappointing uh considering who he was i mean he was supposed to be kevin garnett he was supposed to have that career and you know, Kevin Garnett had that career, <laughs> you know, Weber, Weber didn't change anything, even though he did have some good peaks there in Sacramento. Sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but um, yeah, that 04 Pistons team is kind of the one example of that. And um, you know, honestly, if we look back on that era and that's what hurts so much about the brawl, that was a really weak era for the NBA, those middle two thousands years where you had the 04 Pistons, the 05 Spurs, the 06 heat with that, that was not a great basketball team that won it all that year um that's you need you need luck and circumstance and timing not only with the roster but also with just how everybody else is like um that 2017 team with Oladipo like that or 18 team that 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 timing and circumstance was there they they outplayed the Cavs in that series if they win that series they could have very easily been an NBA finals team as crazy as it sounds and unfortunately, you know, the ball kind of bounces the other way um, when it comes to that. But those are you, you need a combination of everything going right for, for those kind of runs to happen. Well, Derek, this has been a really fun podcast. I, I think we could almost make it a part one, part
2: two with the length of this show, but we'll, uh, we'll just run it as one and let the fans listen on their own pace. But I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and, and staying up late to talk Pacers basketball and talk a little food with me. Uh, anything else you want to plug before we sign off?
1: No, and I'm sorry I spent so much time talking about burritos. Uh, that was just, you know, that was right in no, I was riding my wheels. But I'm glad. I always appreciate the invite, and um, and I don't know. It sounds cheesy, but like congratulations, because not only was setting the pace, but um, you know, I listen to you with JMV and um, on Twitter, and you're just doing really, really great work. Um, and I know it's it's a grind, and. Um, but you know, Pacers content wise, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like the Knicks or the, the Lakers that have these like big national fan bases. You know what I mean? Like it's very mm-hmm. much like community centric. And and yes, you do have some people that are out of state, but I think for the most part with Indiana fans, it, it's a lot of people that have some sort of a tie to Indiana. Um, and it's great to see you. And and there are a lot of other great Pacers content producers as well, but I, I really, really enjoy. In- enjoy your work from the outside looking in. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because you invite me sometimes on the podcast.
2: <laughs> well, no, I really appreciate that. And I agree. There are, There's not a lot of coverage in terms of podcasts and stuff like that, but the ones that do do coverage, I mean, I think that we've got some pretty great people that do it. I mean, you're talking all these different podcasts, the the, the main ones that people listen to. I mean, we've even got a Pacers podcast in Australia, right? So there's just a, a lot of really cool opportunities for people to talk about Pacers and doing podcasts is a lot of work. Like people don't realize The the amount of hours that go into preparing for shows, editing shows, recording shows, and and just keeping up with the grind. I think they say the average show, like, lasts maybe, like, six months to a year or something like that. So we're going on, I believe this is season four now, of doing Setting the Pace. And, you know, it's, I think just, people always ask me, like, how do do you get, you know, T.J. McConnell or Kevin Pritchard or whatever on your podcast? I I always just say, look, it, it didn't come just by me making a Twitter account and then getting lucky to, to have it. It just, it came from constantly talking about the Pacers and growing an audience. And I think interactions on social media is the best way to just continue to, you know, make those connections with people because, you know, if you don't have anybody to connect with, then no one's going to know what you're doing. So uh, just just being consistent, I guess, is the correct term there. Uh, you know that from from doing radio for so long. It's just consistency with what you're doing, what product you're putting out and, Doing the best to, to put out the best you can, because clearly for me, the paces are a hobby, and interest of mine, and I'm very passionate about it. I'm a fan of the team. So this is just something I love doing. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, if I were to stop doing the podcast, it wouldn't change my passion for the pace or anything like that. So this just gives me somewhat of a platform, I guess you could say, to, to talk about it and, and communicate with different people. But uh, yeah, I mean,
1: uh, like you said, it's a, it's a lot of fun and I really appreciate the comments. Yeah, and I'm happy to come on whenever, Alex. It's always great talking not only basketball, but burritos or barbecue or any anything else that starts with the letter B, I guess, with you on the show here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely <laughs> want to
2: figure something out where we can. I haven't like gotten into all the, the, the dirty work of it, but we'd love to be able to set up something over at smoking and Barbecue. We can watch maybe a Pacers game live and enjoy some barbecue together, maybe have a fan hangout and then do a podcast while we're there for a little bit just to kind of let people know where we're at, what we're doing, and that kind of thing. I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to have you out there for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. All right, man. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening to Setting the Pace. You can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden, NBA. My co host is at underscore FACCI. We're over at Instagram at Pacers Talk and on Facebook and TikTok at Setting the Pace. And you guys can find Derek at Schultz975 for all your food and Pacers and Colts takes. So, uh, we will talk to y'all next time.